In Job chapter 1, the reading we have was begun in verse 13. It ended um, with the end of the chapter, verse 22. So let me just read that for you, and then God bless our meditation after that. It says this, One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. When suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. The word of the Lord. When I was thinking about Sunday today, I realized what a special place it was to share people's sufferings, to share stories of what hurts inside. When people are open with you about their suffering and pain, it's... uh, it, these are tu- these are touchy. These are touchy subjects. They're important to people. They, we all want to heal these things, and I think that the, the nature of it was was intimidating to me in the sense that I did not want to be preaching to people in a way that furthered a disconnect with God, that helped to, in only widen a gulf that people might be feeling because of their suffering and pain with God. That was the challenge I I was thinking about. I I wanted to I wanted to go sit next to Job. And in this section of scripture, we not only get to sit next to Job, but what's most striking about this section is that Job uh Job finds a way of getting up and moving and speaking speaking to us about it. One of the hardest things is when you're around someone who's really hurting is we often isolate ourselves. We, like we do, suffer alone. We understand many times that we're the only one in a certain circumstance. And 
So you isolate yourself, kind of build walls up to people that even might want to put their arms around you or share comfort in your life. And those walls around us only, uh, you know, kind of push the help, push the, push the love away as we, as we isolate ourselves and suffer alone. And thankfully, Job, in this wisdom literature of Scripture, Job does the other way around, um, where he speaks to us, where he actually gives to us, I know what to do right now. I mean, he's ready. He's that ready. He, he knows what to do right then and there. And that's, the, that's a gift. That's the gift that this wisdom literature is. If you knew someone who was so upset that they went to crawl into their the room and close the door and kind of shut shut people out it would break you you would want to knock on that door you'd want to know what they were thinking and the same thing you know if, if somebody comes home kind of brooding on something you could tell that they're bothered and they're just not but they're not telling you what it is it, it you can't like move on with your day you can't move on with life you're so bothered and ruffled you think of how how much we long to go in there and have healing and be healed and that's what's so special about this Sunday is in all the scriptures that we had, um, we had the chance to see how, how God ministered to people in their hurt, how he was in that room, um, in that closet, in that quiet place where somebody was dealing with their, their suffering. And with Job, I, I really think you, you find a way to open up yourself by by looking at his story first. So that's where we started this morning. So we looked at Job's story first and sort of just sat down and soaked in the way the story was told to us. And the first part that is worth noting is that in verse 13, we're given a phrase that is repeated later on. And we're told at the very beginning of the story that Job's sons and daughters were gathered together, feasting and drinking wine at the eldest brother's house. That's a little line uh, to set a certain scene in front of our eyes, and you see the group of kids, the group of his kids, gathered together, feasting and drinking. And we're told in the very beginning of Job chapter 1 that his kids did this on a regular basis, like throughout the year where they got together to do this. And then here in verse 13, it's the first line. It like sets the stage, but immediately you change scenes and you go to Job's house where there's a knock at the door and the first messenger with bad news shows up. And I point that out because it's incredible storytelling. It's almost like, you know, the, the writer, the Holy Spirit, and the writer of the book of Job is saying to you, I know how much you value family. And this little detail of these kids being gathered together, feasting and drinking and celebrating at the eldest, eldest brother's house um, is, is a detail that's going to come back up later on. And it plants that little seed that, that while they were doing this, uh, you knock came at the door. You know, when, when they were feasting, and one of those times, a knock came to the door for Job. And the first messenger shows up with the bad news. And he says, your oxen and your donkeys, the Sabaeans came and took them away, and they killed your servants. And I'm the only servant that survived to come and tell you. And right on the heels is another servant knocking at the door, fire of God came down, consumed the sheep. 
and your servants. I'm the only one that survived to come and tell you. And right on his heels is another one at the door. And he says, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties. And they came in, took all your camels, killed your servants. I'm the only one who survived to come and tell you. And as he was speaking, a fourth messenger. Your sons and your daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the eldest brother's house. It's every, every word repeated from verse 13. And after hearing the sequence, for you, the reader, for us, and for Job, you knew what was coming next. It's not like, oh, yeah, some, something, some good news. I'm sure this fourth one will have good news. It wasn't, it wasn't like that. A great wind came, knocked down the four walls. The house collapsed, and they all died. All eyes are on Job after this fourth servant. You long to know what he's thinking. You long to tell him God works for the good of those who love him. You long to enter that space. We always do this. We, we want to heal it up. We want to hear what somebody is so we can engage words with words that can have an impact and help, help them. And it's there that Job does the wisdom literature teaching. It's this moment with eyes all on, on, on Job where we're going to get to see what happens when this jar is broken. Satan had wanted this moment too. Right here with all eyes on Job, you could bet Satan was, Satan was banking on something. If he were a better, he had made this bet with God that if we took away the oxen and the donkeys and the sheep and the prosperity and the family, if we took these things away from your servant Job, he will curse you. That's what Satan thought. That was the challenge he brought to God before the story started. You have pampered Job. Take away all the pampered things and Job will curse you. So all eyes are on Job. And it was God who said to Satan, you don't know him. I know him. I know how much he can handle and I know what his faith is. I know his trust in me. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. It was God who told Satan what would happen in this moment. God's eyes were on his servant. God's eyes were on this moment. See, already he's not alone. Already God was, God was permitting this trial and suffering in Job's life, knowing what he could handle, knowing what he would handle by faith and trust in his God, what he was ready for. God knew that. God was with his servant in that way. And now you have all eyes on Job, we get to see what he does. And he gets up and he tears his robe, he shaves his head, and he bows low to the ground, and then he speaks. And it's that moment when Job speaks 
we get to learn the most. I think if you just had the other signs, you would know Job can tell this is, boy, this is quite a day. This is from the Lord. Fire from heaven, a great wind. Boom, 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 boom. One, two, three, four, right on the back of the other. Yeah, this is quite a day. This is from the Lord. The Lord did this, and now he's going to speak wisdom, faith wisdom, for you, for me. He starts by saying, Naked I came from the womb, and naked I will depart. It's like a, a connecting word to Adam, right? I came uh, like out of the ground. When we say um, like dust to dust and ashes to ashes, we're, we're doing the same patterning there. Where, this is where I start and this is where I finish. Dust, dust, ashes, ashes. Naked, naked is what Job says. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I came out of, of the ground, so to speak. I was of the earth and now I'm in. And then I will go in. And of course, it's a powerful testimony of humility and submission to God as he expresses this dependency. Like, all I brought with me, all I controlled as I came into this world was like zero. I was naked. I did not have clothes. I didn't have food. I didn't have sheep and goats and camels and oxen and donkeys. I didn't have any of these things. I didn't have family. It was all given to me. They were all given. They were all blessings in my life from a blessing God, a blessing kind of God. They were all given to me. And then, uh, so not only does he express his dependency for all of these wonderful blessings that he had in his life, naked, I came in naked, I had nothing. Then he also says, and I will go. I will return with nothing. So Job, Job is saying, naked, I die. And it's another, even for his soul. So body, body and soul, spiritually and physically, I've got nothing unless God gives it. He is not going to take anything of his own into his death. He's not going to bring anything before God as he, as he by faith trusts in God, believes in God, and is going, going to die and face God. He is naked of himself. Naked I came out, and naked I will return. It is the Lord, in his stewardship of all things, to give and take away. That's what he says next. The Lord. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Now God is, we already knew that God was probably in this. God was already in Job's head, I mean, where he knows that this is a, this is a big issue that deals with God. And for him to say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, he's recognizing something going on with the Lord in his in his faith life these these four messengers this wasn't coincidence what happened on that day what he lost or what was taken away that day was of the lord and it caused a faith struggle but it was a it was a thing that he verbalized to say the lord gives and the lord takes away this is god's stewardship of things what to bring into my life and what to take out of my life and that's up to him i'm i'm just naked i am the dependent one and i trust 
I trust in this God. And I think the fully way the, the way that you fully can can understand where Job is is because even after he recognizes the Lord giving him all this stuff and the Lord taking it away again, he says, The name of the Lord be praised. So even after he has no donkeys and no sheep and no oxen and has lost his kids, he still says, the name of the Lord be praised. There's still something there. So I want you to soak that in for a second because it's the bigger picture. There's a bigger picture going on for Job than just the stuff and the family that he has around. There's something more important. He still praises his God, even as all these things empty out of his hands, right? Empty out of his life. As hard as this was, there's still something there. He says, the name of the Lord be praised. He doesn't say, I don't know what to do. He doesn't say, what do you think about this? Where do we go from here? He does this beautiful thing where he tells us exactly where faith goes and where we get to go. In Jesus, he says, the name of the Lord be praised. And he praises God. There's just something bigger going on. And let's just hold that thought. As he's grabbing on to a God he still has, a something else that isn't robbed of him, like forgiveness of sins and eternal life. I want you to think about how that's connected with Job's prior activity. In verse 5, after we got to meet Job and his wealth and his health and his family blessings that he had in the land of Uz, we're told that whenever his sons and daughters feasted and ate together, that he would call them together when they were finished and have them purified and then offer sacrifices with the thought that just in case any of them had cursed God in their heart, he offered sacrifices for them. Job didn't just love his kids. He wanted them in God's family. He wanted them to enjoy God's love. He did not want them to curse God. Job had been fighting Satan in his family life. What Satan was tempting him to do was the very thing that Job had been prepping his family for, teaching them about the purity, the holiness of God, and teaching them of a sacrifice that got in between them and their, their sin and in this holy God, a sacrifice that you know, they could offer and have forgiveness. That's all there. It's all there in Job who is ministering to his family. These truths about God, there's something that he had. So even if they died, even if the house collapsed, that their relationship with their Lord would be right and he could praise God though they were gone. Do you see that? So there's something bigger. Something so much bigger for Job. It was the life of faith that he had with God. And in every reading we had today, that connection of what God had given to us before we count off all the other blessings, we see them all tied together and, and found and given, God fully giving himself in Jesus. We read Romans 5 this morning, so you can read that too later. Romans 5, 1 to 11. And the Apostle Paul says, we have peace with God through Jesus. 
How, that totally changes the way we suffer when you start. your starting point is peace with God and not dead in our sins or enmity with God. He says, what did God do when we were, when we were in our sins? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And now having been reconciled to God, how much more will he not pour out his love? He lives to love us. He lives to love us. He died to love us when we were sinners. And now that we're reconciled to God and we have peace with God, he lives to love on you. That totally throws a wrench in any kind of uh, character doubting we would have with God. The temptation to curse God that Satan wanted out of this. Job had been fighting it, knowing a God who gave him a sacrifice, knowing a God who washed sins away, knowing a God who not only was holy but gave his holiness, gave his son, gave the perfect gift to save our souls. Job clung to this. It's all there in those words where he can say, God is given and God is taken away and there's still something I have. The name of the Lord be praised. I still have praise. It's time to worship. We can worship our God because he is so good. And so also we read from Mark chapter 8, 31 to 38. And how does that start? Before Jesus calls you to suffer or take up a cross, before Jesus talks about the cup the Father would have you drink, he said that the Son of Man was about to be handed over to sinners and betrayed and was going to suffer many things and be killed and rise again. Jesus married his cross to us first. Jesus invites us to see his work, his saving work, and how much love and grace and mercy is shown to the undeserving and unworthy sinner in that hour, so that when the hour of suffering comes, you know, I know the character of my God, and when I was a complete rebel, when I was all wicked, when I was so against him as an enemy, he died for me. And now that he has brought me to be his child, he is not going to abandon me. That's not what suffering is. I am not isolated. I am not alone. This is a God who was with me when I was not with him, who was for me when I was not for him, and having brought me to faith and overcome my rebellion. He loves me. Even if he takes it all away, he loves me. I know him. I trust him. The name of the Lord be praised. So we pray for one another, just as Job did for his sons and daughters. He prayed for them. He ministered to them that they would not curse God in their hearts. I pray for you. And if you're suffering and you need somebody to sit on the ground and tear a robe, shave heads together, we can do that. But let us not buy into the lie that God only loves us if he gives us good things. God already loves us. And everything that happens, happens within the peace of God happens within the grace of God and the love of God. My dear brothers and sisters, may that 
may that comfort be yours in your suffering that alone is never, never, could never be alone. The name of the Lord be praised. God be with you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we confess that in our sinfulness, we deserve to suffer. We also confess that in our sinfulness, we are the cause of suffering. We bring suffering into other people's lives. We do not deserve anything good from Jesus' cross or from your hand in any moment of our lives. And yet, for Jesus' sake, and because you have sent him and you have revealed him to us, we are confident of your love that has conquered everything that got in its way. We are, con we are confident of your mercies that indeed are new, as undeserved as they are, they are new every morning. And we dare and pray in Jesus' name that you would bless us this day, that you would be with us in the giving and in the taking away as we know you are, that you would comfort us in our suffering that need not be alone, but be accompanied by the warmth of your love and the hug of your grace and the goodness of your word. Dear Lord, we ask that you change suffering in our lives forever. May it be an opportunity when any time the jar is broken that we can remember the treasure that nevertheless has been inside, given to us by the Spirit, that can never be taken away. You are a good and merciful God, and that will never change. Be with those who are persecuted. Be with those who are sick and suffering. Be with those who are struggling mentally. Be with those in despair or doubt, and reassure them. Give them this healthy dose of a Lenten season to show the wonderful God that you are as you go to the cross first and for us, that we might never be alone. In your name we pray, amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace. Amen.